Thank you so much for clicking on this edition of Eusebius on Times Live. It is basically a bit of explainer journalism. This is one of those short audio entries where I try to do my best to break down something that may be complicated for you that I am duty-bound to understand as a political analyst. And hopefully I succeed so that you can sound a little bit more informed. Who knows, maybe even a little bit clever over the water cooler at the office tomorrow. There was a major victory that the DA scored legally against the African National Congress today. And that judgment is one that may be lost in the milieu of so much in the news cycle. And I thought I can lift it to the surface for those of you who are political animals like I am, but may not be aware of this judgment that is potentially quite significant and far-reaching if the ANC were to comply with it immediately, or eventually, if it were to go on and appeal the judgment, if it was to lose it right at the apex court, and no doubt it will try its luck with every step, this could fundamentally change South African politics in serious ways. And that's why I thought it deserved a quick entry on Eusebius on Times Live. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people zone, their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Now, what happened today? Well, let me start with a court order. That's usually what you will see reported on. And then I'll work my way back and explain to you how it is that the court came to this order. And I'm reading, short judgment, you can read it for yourself, quite frankly, but this is an audio cheat sheet equivalent for you. The court said the following. I issue the following order, said the judge. One, the decision of the ANC to refuse Schreiber, who's a DA politician, request for access to information dated 22 Feb 2021, is declared unlawful and invalid and is set aside. Number two, the ANC is directed to provide all the information and records sought in Schreiber's request for access to information dated 22 Feb 2021 within five core days of service of this order. And to add insult to injury, the ANC, and well, that's me speaking, not the court, the ANC shall pay the costs of this application, including the costs of two counsel. Now, have I already lost you? I hope not. But in case I have, let me explain that court order in even simpler English, although that is quite clear and you can, you know, rewind, as it were, and listen back to that court order as I have just read it out. But basically what the court is saying to the ANC is, no, 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 no. You cannot claim that there's no reason for you to provide uh, 
the records of the ANC's National Cadre Deployment Committee to the DA. Because that's what the DA wanted. And that, that's why paragraphs 9, 10, and a couple after that are the most important if you really want to get to the heart of the issue. But in terms of just understanding the practical meaning of what the court ordered, the court is saying to the ANC, you must hand over all the documents related to your Cater Deployment Committee over an eight-year period, the beginning of 2013, all the way until the beginning of 2021, and that must be given to the DA. Now that, I mean, you know, you don't need to be a lawyer to, to think through the political implications of that. It's huge, absolutely huge. You and I both know, I mean, it's common cause that the ANC's National Cadre Deployment Committee plays a monumentally important role in terms of which ANC cadres get seconded to the state. And not just as civil servants, but also key appointees within cabinet for that matter. So the government that gets formed itself is in an important way a function of the deliberations of the ANC's National Cadre Deployment Committee. I mean, that committee even makes decisions and have debates about who ideal candidates are to support when it comes to judicial appointments, even. Now, obviously, there's a mechanism that's, you know, set up. You've got the Judicial Services Commission and all of these have got their own independent sources of power and functions in our democracy. But in terms of realpolitik, the African National Congress's National Cadre Deployment Committee has got in real terms, massive power in terms of deciding ultimately how key parts of the state are constituted in terms of the human beings that occupy positions that affect your life and my life in very material ways and therefore has a bearing on the business of government and of the state. And so for it to be asked to hand over these records of the process and decisions of the ANC's work over an eight-year period is absolutely ginormous. So let me read paragraph nine. You know, this is not part of the order, but it was part of the judgment laying out the issues and the arguments made by the DA and most of their arguments, not all of them, were accepted by the court. Paragraph nine reads as follows. The only issue then is whether by requesting the documents, Schreiber has shown that he requested it for a exercise of a particular right. Insofar as there are disputes on the affidavits, these are resolved on the basis of the version of the ANC, but that the uncontested version of Schreiber is also to be taken into account. The records requested by Schreiber are those of the ANC in relation to the process and decisions of the ANC's National Cadre Deployment Committee between the 1st of January 2013 and the 1st of January 2021. Let's slow it down. So what do we know so far? that the DA scored the victory insofar as the ANC has been ordered to hand over the records of its deployment committee's work. That raises the obvious question, what is the logic? Not politically, ethically, what in law is the logic? How did the ANC manage to lose? And what are the kinds of arguments that the lawyers of the DA successfully constructed to convince the court to come to this conclusion. 
And that's really, really interesting. You know, they had many arguments. Not all of them were accepted. Some are not crucial to you sounding clever tomorrow morning at the office. So I'm going to skip over those and really get to two or three of the most important. I mean, there's some detail that, I mean, it's it's a really short judgment and you should, should find, it's going to be all over the internet with, by the, probably by the time many of you are listening to this explainer and try and get hold of a copy, read it for yourself. I'm going to skip over the bits that I think are interesting and important, but not the most important. There really were three arguments that stood out on the part of the DA for why it is legally important for those records to be handed over. And I must say there was some creative argument here, but not just creative. Upon reflection, I think these are pretty good arguments. This takes us to paragraphs 16, 17, and 18, where those three arguments, legal arguments, underpinning the DA's case is really explained. And it all has to do, before I even read it for you, notice once I read it, that the strategy was for the DA to say to the court, we cannot fulfill our constitutional role in the legislature unless we have access to these records. Now, I thought to myself, <laughs> you really need some fancy footwork here. How are you going to draw dots between the internal party processes of the African National Congress and your basic lawmaking and oversight duties as legislators. So let's see how they did that. And I'm going to read it a little bit slowly and try and concentrate so that you don't miss a step. There are three purposes in terms of the rights that the DA wanted to outline for the court that are at issue were it not to be granted access to the Deployment Committee's records. And now I quote, firstly, that the DA, in its capacity as official opposition in Parliament, wishes to enact legislation to govern the practice of cadre deployment and to control its detrimental impacts on the public. In order to properly craft legislation, one needs to know exactly what cadre deployment consists of and what its consequences may be. Schreiber attached a draft bill that would impact on the matter if passed by Parliament. The ANC's response was that the desire to draft a bill is not done in an exercise of any right or any fundamental right, but is done as a duty of a political party that is represented in Parliament. The requirements of PIA, that is, Access to Information Act, do not refer to any fundamental right, as if such right has to appear in the Bill of Rights. It is not in dispute that Schreiber has the right to introduce a bill in Parliament, whether he may do so by virtue of his right or a duty placed on the official opposition or political power, in my view, makes no difference, says the judicial officer. Now, what does that mean in simple English? Well, the DA says, we would like to come up with laws that govern cadre deployment or any generic term you want to use because it's not going to be a law made against the ANC or for purposes of regulating the ANC. You, can't, you, you cannot come up with laws in any democracy that target an individual or a particular private organization. The way that's normally framed by lawyers is to say, all laws must be of general application. So whatever bill the DA introduces will apply as much to itself as the ANC. 
But given that the government of the day and throughout our entire democracy has been the ANC, the DA says to be able to to even go ahead with this lawmaking process, we need to see what the ANC has been up to. And the ANC says, well, no, you are relying here on the Promotion of Access to Information Act, but it has very, and you can see how the ANC is trying to be technical about this, um, it's not saying you are just wrong politically, or no, you, you can introduce the bill without knowing what we do. They're now trying to be technical, which is the first sign that they really, really know they're on weak grounds. But they say technically, it's not, you don't have a, there's no fundamental right to access this thing. And the court says, I'm not so sure whether that's in line with either the letter or the spirit of the Promotion of Access to Information Act. And here's why the court says, because the purpose that they want to serve relates intrinsically to their duty as parliamentarians, and that's sufficient to implicate this piece of legislation that promotes transparency. So that's the first argument, right, that the DA used. We are preparing law to govern all parties' relationship between their cadres, when I say cadres, I mean here all parties' cadres, and who ends up in government or in the state or in state agencies. But we can't draft effective legislation without knowing what the ANC has been up to over the last eight, ten years or so. Then they introduce a second argument, and there are three arguments. I don't think they're equally strong, but combined they were sufficient, and at least one of them independently on its own was enough for them to win the case. The second argument that he introduces doesn't have to do with lawmaking, but with oversight. Now, I think this is the best argument of the lot. And this is a very simple argument, but let me read from paragraph 17. Secondly, it is common cause that as a member of parliament, Schreiber has a duty of oversight over appointments to organs of state and the performance of organs of state. In my view, it is indeed so that the parliamentary oversight is best served with full knowledge of all the factors that go into the decisions to appoint individuals. Again, the ANC submitted that no fundamental right was involved. It is not contested that Schreiber in the aforesaid capacity as both the right and duty of oversight in parliamentary processes, which include the appointment of individuals to serve in organs of state. Let me explain it simply. The court says, I'm convinced that the DA guy is right when he says, I cannot be an effective MP in terms of my duty to provide oversight over cabinet, government, organs of state, unless I know what the hell they're up to. I can only know that if I have access to these records that are integral to appointments. Finish and clerk. There's really nothing more to say. And I think that argument about oversight is really, really, really important. The third one is a little bit obscure. And I think, yeah, the judge could have, I think, written a bit better in summating the argument. Um, but one would have to go back to the papers and see how the DA articulated it in the first place. But for completeness sake, I'm going to read it. Although I think the first two, we can't make laws unless we know the true facts we can't provide argue, oversight unless we know the true facts. I think those two, for me, 
seal the deal, quite frankly. But in paragraph 18, just for the sake of completeness, it says, thirdly, Schreiber advances that a category of litigation is relevant. The category includes applicants for positions who may have been denied opportunities or who may wish in future to apply for opportunities in the public service who will be enabled to enforce their rights with a better understanding of how cadre deployment works. Now, the court comments on that and basically says, well, you know, there are other ways in which an aggrieved party can deal with feeling aggrieved if they think they have a legitimate case. And that's, there are many examples of that that you and I can probably think through quite quickly, can't we? Where someone thinks, for example, that a tender process was, to take a parallel, a tender process was was not, in terms of procedural fairness and administrative justice, handled properly by a particular department who secretly knew who they wanted all along. And the court is saying, yeah, yeah, you're providing way too many arguments, almost as if the DA is using the kitchen sink approach. So for me, for you to, to get to the essence of why they won the case, I think it's really got to do with the first two issues. So I'm going to repeat it, and hopefully it sticks in my mind and in yours. I can't introduce a bill that governs cater deployment for the sake of constitutional best practice unless I know how cater deployment currently operates. That's the first one. Second one is I can't be an effective MP in terms of my oversight duty unless I know the full records of this deployment committee because I need some of that critical nexus reasons for how they have come to conclusions about who's fit to be in key positions in the state to empower me to be maximally effective in my oversight duty. That's it. You can, quite frankly, stop this entry right here. But I will add one more thing. Why is this politically important and what are the consequences? Well, it's politically important because the meaning of the judgment politically is that transparency matters and that even though political parties are entitled, in my view as a political analyst, as a voter, as a political animal, to some degree of privacy when it comes to how they function internally, it is really kind of interesting that, that we are entrenching the value of transparency so that voters, and this goes beyond the reasoning of, 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 of the court in this case, so I'm invoking this as a political analysis point. As voters, we need maximum flow of information into the public space to be able to make informed decisions when we vote, when we decide who we want is the government of the day. And we should always err on the side of more rather than less transparency. Transparency and the full record being made available of key public institutions, including technically private bodies like political parties, private for the sake of pyre, but who have massive public impact in terms of their existence and what they do and their reason for why they operate, right? So more information is always better than less information. It's as simple as that when it comes to exercising your political rights. So we should always be championing the idea of transparency. That's not to say that, that, that you should be robotic about it. If there are excellent reasons to not make certain records available, and we've seen many cases that are tied up in lawfare around this, like the tax affairs of former presidents, then it shouldn't be made available. 
But we, we will fight on a case-by-case basis where they shouldn't be made available. But what I like about this judgment is that it entrenches what the default should be. The default should be openness and transparency and accountability, and the exception should be to put a lid on information. That's why it's important. Will the ANC appeal? Probably. They wouldn't want you and I to know how they operate, especially going into the election next year. They'll probably want to drag this out, legally speaking. What would be my advice to all the opposition parties? This is not a DA victory. It is, in a narrow sense, but it's a victory for citizens. It's a victory for the opposition. And if they're clever, and unfortunately they make many communication errors, they should be able to craft really clever political messaging flowing from this case so that even if the ANC tie them up in legal warfare for the next three, four years, they should center the idea of transparency and accountability and openness. That's how I would play it if I was a comms strategist for any of the political parties. And if you're not the DA and put you in the opposition, I would say take a keen interest in this judgment because this is not about DA versus ANC. Any opposition party and civil society organizations that promote transparency and openness should be happy about this judgment.